0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to your one-stop shop of independent conservative truth-telling here at The Conservative Conscience. It is Tuesday, and it is may as well still be Monday because it's just one elongated day of virtue signaling. Because virtue signaling is now our national religion. And more than ever before, I think all of you see this. The unibrow oligarchy is on display. Fox News with all the, oh, very uh, stern statements, very stoic. Uh, you know, it's almost like remember those Al Qaeda hostage tapes when they would kidnap these people and they were forced to put out a statement um, denouncing America? So that's what happens. Every time the left shouts race in a crowded theater, Every respectable conservative are really very thoughtful. They have a lot of very smart things to say, of course. Actually, they don't. Um, So this is why they jump on the opportunity to put on a show in front of their audience, which is the 1% most extreme left media in the country, that they feel they need to say, I am a good person. Please, no, don't tase me. No, no, don't hurt me. I'm good. I'm good. These other conservatives suck. I'm a good one. I care about people. I'm, I'm racially sensitive. And I tell you this all the time. The left knows how to pick the lock because every important issue in this country, they enshrine in their racial agenda and they know that's it. All opposition ceases. So that's the thing. These guys spent all day the entirety of Republican conservative media elected officials, Romney, Rubio, Joni Ernst, um, Elise Stefanik, all these clowns, spent the day, while our ICE and border agents are in mortal danger, and there are so many things they could hit the Democrats up on with the Senate, hit them over the head with, they spent the entire day shilling for someone with a 9% approval rating who themselves question the loyalty of Jews who, according to Minneapolis's you know, mainstream paper, engaged in marriage and immigration fraud, the biggest irony of all, and they feel the need to take a stand for this pro-Al Qaeda, pro-Hamas nutcase of a woman that nobody in the country feels the need to defend. That is the state of the Republican Party. That is the state of the phony, thumb-sucking conservative movement. You know, the last week I criticized the Teletubbies a lot. Those are the people that are just like, ooh, like everything Trump does is like, you know, somehow amazing, even if he screws us and does liberal things. And then you have, on the other hand, the thumb-sucking conservative intelligentsia that when Trump is finally on message, and I'm not saying he was the most on message, and you know again, I'm gonna I would spend my political capital more on the actual policies, but I can't blame the guy for saying that. Now I said this yesterday. if you have a guy who is, I don't know from Canada, France, Norway. And he immigrates here, becomes naturalized, gets elected to Congress, and won't shut up about trashing America, how bad our health care is, how great France's system is. What's the first thing any common sense person would tell them of all stripes? Hey, well, if you like it so much, go back to France. It's an obvious thing, meaning even if you want to the allegation against the president, if you want to accuse him of something, it would be anti-immigrant, not anti like like a racial thing. But then again, if you understand it, there's plenty of immigrants that love America and there's no reason we should have people that hate America. So he's just saying, so go back if you don't like it here. It's a very simple point. But it's actually, like I said yesterday, a Freudian slip that both the left and the conservative intelligentsia which by the way is to the left of your swing voter in America they view immigration as synonymous with a certain race because they view that immigration by definition has to be of certain races it's unbelievable that's how these people are you know I saw an unbelievable thing yesterday I thought it was worth sharing in the context of what's going on today. Scarlett Johansson, you know, one of these stupid Hollywood actresses, she put out a statement and said, you know, acting should be immune from political correctness. Acting needs to be immune from political correctness. I want you guys to think about that statement for a moment. Acting. As if there's nothing more important in the world than acting. Nothing more important. Now, I'm not going to be like one of these and suddenly make her a hero. Oh, she's going after political correctness. She's part of the problem. She's part of the problem. But, um... You know, she can go to hell for all I care, like all these people. But basically, um, if you think about it, and, and look, I, it's not that I disagree with the statement, but the deal is if acting, which is so inconsequential because it's acting. Right By definition, it's la-la land. It's the fake world. Should be immune from political correctness. Shouldn't the real world, shouldn't by a factor of a million, public policy, decisions related to life and death that need to be driven by the right information and data and rational arguments and good policy for the broadest amount of people within the confines of the rule of law, how much more so That should be exempt from political correctness. So, um, that's the story there. That's the story there. And, um, I just don't get it. Acting should be exempt from political correctness. Our entire public policy, every issue, is driven by one thing, race and political correctness. Look, reasonable people could disagree over what's good policy. But we should live in a country where we are free to debate the veracity of certain arguments of certain issues and not be cowed into submission because, oh, th- this is really a truth, but I can't say it because people are going to accuse me of doing this. If you think acting should be immune to it, that's what's lost on everyone in this whole conversation, by the way. So anyway, this is what we have as a conservative movement. It reminds me of the Confederate monument stuff. Totally. Totally reminds me of the Confederate monument stuff, where 99% of conservative thumb sucking losers were like, oh my gosh, we got to get rid of it. That's it. That's it. We got to get rid of it. We're, we're taking on water here. We're going to die. Oh my gosh, we got to get, get tear down the statues. But you know what? They pulled in the blue state of Virginia, which has become a blue state. And by more than two to one, people said no, they should remain. Believe me, you know, two to one majority of Virginians are clear are not racist. They just understand, like, no, we're not, we're not into this, like the South shall rise again business. We just understand, you know, the historical significance. Civil war is a very complicated aspect of our lives. You know, Lincoln respected his own people in the South. He wanted reconciliation. And that's really what we kind of celebrate with the Civil War reenactments and everything. And it really struck a chord with most, and most people understand that. But conservative thumbsuckers, their brains are not allowed to think along the lines of the straight and narrow. They're starting an end point, an ending point, is only within the confines of what they're used to all day, which is just reacting and examining and obsessing about the liberal media. So they're unmoored from their own viewpoints. They don't have viewpoints. Whereas with me, I don't care. There's no gas left in that tank anymore of calling people racist. You got to give the best arguments for your position and let the chips fall where they are. That's the best you can do. But um, it's funny, it's that, it's immigration, it's all this stuff, anything that the left could make about race. These guys are like, oh my gosh, we're taking on water. You could have a 99 to 1% political issue that swings against the left, the far left. And the media will convince these people that they need to trip over themselves and wet their pants and run out within three seconds after they've been in the witness protection program on every other issue and issue some sort of the Al-Qaeda hostage speech about how this is not who we are. It's like trained seals at the aquarium. I mean, every time it works. I mean, do you understand what grave danger ICE is in today? A guy tried to blow up a propane tank and kill everyone in that detention center in Tacoma, the agents, the illegals, everyone there, and i got news for you like a lot a lot of these guys are lone wolves you know domestic terrorists islamic terrorists whatever this this guy is part of an entire cell i could tell you hsi is investigating this you have antifa roaming around there they came back the next day with graffiti that they're going to avenge the blood of wilhelm von spronsen whatever his name was this is this is serious stuff. I didn't even appreciate when we're talking about you know compromising ICE missions and how you put them in danger. You know that was true a few years ago, but what is very different from a few years ago is Antifa. This is this is serious stuff. Everyone saw what they did in Portland, and the police don't do anything about it. If you're a handful of remember, ICE is is as big as NYPD. And they're national, and less than half are allocated for deportation. So you fling them out across many cities. There's just a few people here and there. That is a very dangerous thing to do. You know, a lot of people are thinking, like, what do you mean, dangerous? This is not Afghanistan, like they're going into Afghanistan. What does it mean, you know, compromising the mission? Well, now you understand. There's a lot going on there, in especially in places like Oregon and Washington, which have a big Antifa presence. And yet You know, Democrats, they come, they see, they conquer. They have a meme. Everyone unites behind it. The very next day, there's a piece of legislation, a resolution condemning Trump they're voting on today. Where is the Republican resolution, the Senate, condemning Antifa? Standing up for ICE. Strengthening the penalties for harboring illegal aliens and endangering ICE, endangering Border Patrol. More resources to prosecute those at the border, increasingly, who are assaulting border agents and are going unprosecuted. There is no narrative of their own. Every day I get before you on this microphone, I write several articles a day with an affirmative message. Take it or leave it. You could agree with me, you could disagree with me, but I have a proactive agenda of what I believe needs to be done on the critical issues in this country. Some weeks, the president's way off base, and we go after him like last week. This week, he's more... At least on message, having DOJ finally make the right determination on asylum. 15 months too late is, is better than ever. Maybe we'll get to that a little later. And then like, it's very simple. He told a vile human being, and that's what she is by all measures, who herself questioned the loyalty of native-born Americans who are Jewish and you know, engaged in, in, in immigration fraud to just go home if you don't like it here. And somehow, everyone makes it about race. I want to say everyone. I mean, how many people in America give a darn? Again, and this is a criticism on both sides. You see this with the polling on Mueller in both parties. The voters just don't care. I think it was Amy Klobuchar said that in in, uh, Iowa. Like, you know, they care about the issues. Healthcare, you you know, safety, whatever. That's what they care about. But, but these Republicans and these phony conservatives at National Review are just vile. But that's what it is. It's like I, I noted yesterday. I noted yesterday. Just just so you know who I am and and, and, and what we do here. You know, some people don't like when I criticize Trump for being weak and going back on his promises. Oh, yeah, you're a cruise guy. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I supported Cruz in the primary, but, you know, I've called him. He's he's gotten very weak of late as well. That's just, just the reality. He's been very much missing in action, and I won't be shy about saying it. I really won't. You know that. So out of nowhere, I mean... You know He should be literally holding that Senate floor every day, demanding that McConnell keep the Senate in for the August recess, dealing with sanctuary cities, dealing with the border, dealing with support for ICE and Border Patrol. And yet, out of nowhere, Cruz just goes ahead and attacks the Tennessee governor, He's kind of an establishment guy for signing a proclamation, and this was Cruz's words, honoring Nathan Bedford Forrest, the Confederate general and early KKK leader. This is wrong, Cruz tweeted in all caps. Nathan Bedford Forrest was a Confederate general and delegate to the 1868 Democrat convention. He was also a slave trader and the first Grand Wizard of the KKK. Tennessee should not have an official day tomorrow honoring him. Change the law. Do you really think in his bones, deep down, in his moral, the, in, the, in the recesses of the morality of his heart, this really bothered him. It's so random. No, virtue signaling has become a national religion at the elite level. I think most most average people still exude common sense, but in this sphere, it's all about ooh, turning around. Ooh, did you say something racist? Ooh, like, there's no common sense. So you know, he gets he gets sucked into that now too. Remember in the primary, ironically even Trump, you know, a lot of his supporters didn't realize it, he totally screwed up, out on this um, you know, saying, "Oh, this stuff needs to be taken down, the Confederate flag in South Carolina," and Cruz adamantly refused to get involved in that. Look where he is now. But a lot of people don't realize and I appreciate my friend George Rasley at Conservative HQ. This is Richard Viguerie's outlet. I was going to write something on this, but I didn't have time, and I'm glad he did. So, first of all, it's not just Forrest. It's Robert E. Lee. It's many people. But um, there's something bigger going on here. If we're going to get obsessed about history, let's learn history properly. Now look, Nathan Bedford Forrest is not really celebrated by people like like Robert E. Lee is, you know, and for obvious reasons. But, you know, there's something a lot of people forget. Unlike Lee, you know, he did start the KKK. Okay, right after the Civil War, he did start it. And again, that's why most people stay away from him. But if we're going to make a whole issue over Nathan Bedford Forrest, then let's learn the rest of the story. He ordered the dissolution of that organization in 1869 two years after he started it. In 1875, before he died, Forest reconciled. And there was a convention and barbecue held for the Independent Order of Pole Bearers Association. That was the forerunner to the NAACP at the fairgrounds of Memphis. And um, Forrest spoke. And it was to extend peace, joy, and union. That was the purpose of the of the g- gathering. And guess what? Forrest expressed what at that time was really more enlightened views on the issue than a lot of dem- prominent Democrats well into the 20th century that everyone celebrates. Heck, I mean, and I'm a big Lincoln fan. In many ways, it's more progressive in that sense. And I don't, I don't want to use that term. I, I hate that term. It's really, really enlightened Um, than anything that lincoln said in his lifetime remember a lot of people back then in the north didn't believe in slavery but you know also their economy didn't depend upon it but they you know if you would listen to the overwhelming majority of people talk about blacks you know you'd be appalled i mean it just you know that, that's just where thought was in those days it was pre-enlightenment on that on that issue And um, what people don't understand is the whole point of the civil war in general, of commemorating it, is commemorating the reunification, the reconciliation. That is really what we're doing. And yet the left wants to go back and dig up graves. I mean, Woodward Wilson, Robert Byrd, they never reconciled their views. They came much later. Remember, this is 1875 in the South. It was a 4th of July celebration, by the way. It was an audience of black Southerners right before he died. And... You know, he embraced um, a black woman on the stage. Get okay, this, is 1875. I mean, in the South, and he said, "We may have but one, we have but one flag, one country. Let us stand together. We may differ in color, but not in sentiment." Ladies and gentlemen, I accept the flowers as a memento of reconciliation between the white and colored races of the Southern states. I accept it more particularly as it comes from a colored lady. For if there is anyone on God's earth who loves the ladies, I believe it is myself. Um, I came here with the jeers of some white people who think that I am dead doing wrong. I believe I can exert some influence and do much to assist the people in strengthening fraternal relations and shall do all in my power to elevate every man to depress none. I want to elevate you to take the positions in law offices, and stores, on farms, and wherever you are capable of going. He's t- speaking to blacks, by the way. I have not said anything about politics today. I don't propose to say anything about politics. You have a right to elect whom you please. Vote for the man you think best. And I think what that is done, what, when that is done, you and I are free men. Do as you consider right and honest electing men of office. I did not come here to make you a long speech, although invited to do so by you. I am not much of a speaker. My business prevented me from preparing myself. I came to meet you as friends and welcome you to the white people. I want you to come near to us. When I can serve you, I will do so. We have but one flag, one country, let us stand together. Okay, this, we may differ in color, but not in sentiment. Many things have been said about which are about me which are wrong and which white and black persons here who stood by me through the war can contradict. Go to work, be industrious, live honestly, and act truly. And when you are oppressed, I'll come to your relief." I thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for the opportunity you've afforded me to be with you and assure you that I am with you in heart and hand. I mean, and, and he gave this Miss Lewis a kiss on the cheeks, which was unheard of in those days. And remember, this is, you know, almost 100 years later, you would be run out of town in some of these places in the South for doing that. You know, I, I just... I don't get it. I'm not asking people to celebrate the guy. But if you're going to go out of your way to tr- vote to dig up his grave and do all this stuff, learn history. That speech is what embodies what many of us are into in commemorating and learning about the Civil War. It's the same thing in you know 1913 on the 50th anniversary of Gettysburg when the veterans reenacted Pickett's Charge and embraced. That's what we remember. You know, I I didn't mean to get into the Civil War today because there's a lot more going on, but this is what bothers me. As a nation, we should be able to speak the truth. That's the ultimate reconciliation. That's the irony stop looking at colors. This was the freaking Confederate general started the KKK guy, yet in 1875, he said this much. Let's just work together like anyone else. Let's be honest, industrious, and end it. And the left just won't let it go. And the phony right, as the earth is to the sun, follows in their orbit. And everything the left makes about race They make about race. Honestly, I think we could end the racial problems in this country if we actually had a conservative movement to be a check and a balance on the left. But because the left never faces reprisal and Republicans always say, hey, how high when they say jump, well, they're going to keep doing it. It amazes me. All day, all day, all these real... Some sucking intellectuals or very smart takes or racism. And meanwhile, these people have no knowledge or answers on a single important issue of our time. When you molly coddle specific types of people, you're not doing them any favors, and you're not doing anyone any favors. Part of the problem is that when you had the civil rights era. The legitimate civil rights where, you know, there were areas where blacks weren't given true equality in life, liberty and property, unalienable rights. And couldn't get a fair trial, kind of like today in the reverse Jim Crow, whether it's with illegal immigration against American citizen or certain protected races and ethnicities. But that's what it was like then. And there were elements kind of on both sides that were recalcitrant against that change. And he had an element of John Birchers and and the like on the right that were against it. And Bill Buckley kind of banished them from the movement. But what happened was, over time, the neoconservatives, neo is the operative word, it's not just a foreign policy philosophy, as a lot of people think, you know, in spreading democracy. It's domestic policy, too, and it's rooted in PC. It's rooted in, so what happened was, rather than live and let live what Forrest hoped to do, and, and most real Confederate generals tried to reconcile after the Civil War, unfortunately, there was, this, you know, and this is a whole history, the push-pull, the rubber band effect, why this kept going on for another 100 years, but it should have been done within the 60s. But then the left got smart, and they said, you know what? We're now going to backfill and retroactively codify everything we want to do in civil rights. See, just like then you did wrong to the blacks, so now you're doing wrong to them now. And you're doing it wrong to other races and to immigrants and to gays. And and, and that's how they've enshrined everything into it. And rather than holding the line on that, what the neocons did to the conservative movement is they threw out the baby with the bathwater. And they started to accept the premise of everything the left said on the racial agenda, even though it has had long passed the point of legitimate civil rights, and it actually was antithetical to it. So at heart, you know, these people, there were a couple of things about the Democrats that they didn't like, so they became Republicans, but at heart, they've accepted this premise of the left. And this is where the virtue signaling comes in on a daily basis. It's killing us. So that's my piece on this business, driving me nuts. Anyway, I wanted to make one more point on this issue before we move on, of virtue signaling of how the conservative media is to the left of your average common sense American. Uh, I just had to break the show in half today because we had our video team from TV from DC coming up here to my hometown bunker in order to set up our launch where we will actually go to video, some component. So we're teasing that out today. A lot of you have asked for video and um, we aim to please here. I'm more of an audio guy, but... If you guys think video is something you can get out more and get the message out, that that's what we're here for. But I want to share with you an editorial from the Buffalo News. We spoke about Michael Kearns, the maverick Democrat county clerk, Erie County clerk, who is one of the only people standing up to giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens and standing up for federal law in a case where federal law is very appropriate. And, you know, he's he's really gaining a lot of traction, and he's very popular in the area. And you think normally, when, it, especially when it comes to immigration, the editorial pages of every paper, oh, it's like the civil rights of our time. But you know what's interesting? Sometimes a certain issue in D.C. is one way, but everywhere else it's another way. I'm just going to read to you a little bit of this op-ed, this editorial from the Buffalo News. At a time when Democrats control all of state government in New York, it's hardly surprising to see a rush of progressive legislation from imposing new regulations on landlords to decriminalizing the use of marijuana. Many of these efforts have been controversial, but none as much as the new law allowing unauthorized immigrants to obtain driver's licenses. It's not only the green light law that is controversial, but the continuing opposition to it as well. That charge is being led by Erie County Clerk Michael P. Kearns, who has filed a federal lawsuit contending that it would be illegal for him and other clerks to obey this law. Kearns doesn't want to enforce this law, and many New Yorkers are cheering him on. The question splits over a fundamental belief that those here illegally should have no official recognition and a conclusion that because they already are here, And driving on our streets, we are all safer if they are licensed. The law has created strange bedfellows. The state's largest business group, the Business Council of New York State, endorsed it. Meanwhile, county clerks such as Kearns are speaking out against the law, which in a June Siena poll shows it is opposed by 53% of New Yorkers. When Kathleen Hochul was Erie County Clerk, she opposed the effort. By then, Governor Elliot Spitzer to allow those here illegally to get driver's licenses. Now, as Lieutenant Governor, she supports the move. So, notice, notice, 53% in New York. They say the opposition is especially pronounced upstate, which is geographically larger, but less populous and politically weaker. In other words, salt of the earth Americans. Remember, upstate New York, especially in recent years, has become more and more Democrat. But, you know, it's not like New York City. If you go outside the big urban areas, the broad populace of the country opposes this. And I don't just mean in hardcore red America I mean what are we talking about here Erie County New York are you kidding me you know that went for Clinton by like I, I don't remember exactly five six seven points you have conservative areas it's a big county you have but you know it's got got Buffalo in it And, uh, you know, leaders in Monroe County, which is very Democrat, are also joining with Michael Kern. So, again, I've made contact with him. I want to get him on the show. He'll be on the show hopefully later this week or early next week. But I think this is a really important story, not just because it demonstrates the power of localism as possibly a light at the end of this tunnel. But it also is important in the sense that it shows how your average kind of 50-50 county, even lean blue county, is to the right of where the conservative media is. So that's with that. I want to move on. We're talking about illegal migration As we're talking now, early afternoon on Tuesday, the House... ENC committee, Energy and Commerce, is holding a hearing on combating fentanyl. And I was thinking, so the Democrat-controlled House is doing everything they can to promote illegal immigration, open borders, literally in-kind donations for the cartels. They may as well hand billions of dollars to those cartels. They are opposing removing their criminal alien networks. And they have the nerve to look us in the eye and say we're combating fentanyl. No, what they are doing is harming pain patients, cancer patients, veterans, so they can obfuscate the primary role that criminal aliens and the cartels play in the drug crisis. And what's weird is, more than anything else, there's obviously a very vocal constituency online that's obsessed with drugs. Because I put out this comment from Robert Murphy that Lanta... Special agent in charge of DA about how the entirety of the problem is driven by illegal immigration, the cartels. And they're like, no, DA is causing it. Ha, ha, ha. Daniel, we've had a bunch of uh, drugs caught with coming in in cargo ships. Oh, this has nothing to do with that. Ha, huh? you're so naive. You're so stupid. We've had this forever. We're never going to solve it. Oh, huh? you're talking about a war on drugs. And they're the stupid ones. You know why? Because they're the ones that just go on their feelings of 50 years' worth of stuff, and they truncate it all into one era. We spent an entire year on this issue. When we talk about the drug crisis, we're not talking about since the 60s and 70s. We're talking about 2013, 2014, and on. What changed? Why did, you know, instead of 10,000 deaths, we had 70,000? That's what we explored for a full year. That is not natural. That is not driven by market demand. The lacing with fentanyl and the people dying instantly, that is different. It's different than anything we've experienced. Nobody is talking about ending all drugs. In law enforcement, you try to mitigate a problem. No one's ever saying you're going to end the problem. We would all die to get back to pre-2013 era when we were saying the war on drugs wasn't working. I wish we would go back to that era, that baseline. And the point I was making was just a very simple point, and that is at a primary level, the entire distribution of, of drugs for the cartels is done by criminal aliens. That's the only point I was making. It's very simple. And that if we simply, not a war on drugs, just simply did everything we can to enforce the laws on the books regarding sovereignty and immigration, which we have to do anyway, then come back to me about the drug problem. It was a very common sense point he made. Robert Murphy said, everyone's focused on the product, but it's the people that matter. I agree a war on an item doesn't work, just like a war on guns doesn't work. It's the people. You lock up the bad people, and crime goes down. You lock up guns, crime doesn't go down, crime goes up, and you just have innocent people that are left indefensible in the face of this onslaught of of all these criminals not locked up. Same thing here. The people coming across the border to make and distribute the drugs are coming here illegally. You can drive all the liquid meth you want here, whether it's the border or, you know, cargo ships at the maritime ports. But you still have to have the people to do it. Those are the ones coming here illegally. And more importantly, those are the ones remaining here illegally. All these people, what do you think sanctuary cities are? The biggest thing they're arrested for, for which they don't turn over, there's two big things, and we're going to get to both of them, drugs and DUI. By simply enforcing our immigration laws, we would have a fraction of the drug trafficking, which means, again, that the ubiquitous nature of it would, be, would go down. And the prices would go up. It would be more prohibitive so not every 18-year-old could get a hold of it. That's what's changed over the last few years. Like Murphy told me, we are arguing about the wrong thing here. It's not the product that matters. The product doesn't sell itself or produce itself. It's the people who make the cartel run, collect the cash, do the distribution, engage in violence, and run operations for the cartels. Without those people, the cartels have no success. What we see here in Atlanta, and we know pretty much the same in the entire Southeast, 100% of the meth trafficked is controlled by the cartels. Every point, from the production in Mexico, the crossing into the U.S., the conversion for crystal meth sale here, the high level of distribution, and then the actual collection of proceeds and then back into Mexico. Predominantly what we arrest here is illegal aliens. Sure you might find some Americans who would be willing to go to Mexico and work for the cartels, but it won't be the be the level that they need to have control of the US market like they do now with illegals and Mexican nationals. And that's the point. If simply every see, look, the problem is every American picked up on drugs, despite what they say, they're barely, they don't serve any time. They just don't. It's a small percentage we wind up locking up, especially now. Don't talk to be to me about the late 90s. Talk about today. Today we are barely locking anyone up. An American, they'll be out on the streets the next day. But when it comes to the criminal aliens, you just get them out of here. And their networks are decimated because again, most of the networks are also, they're also run by families and clans. They're very close knit. Immigrants are very close knit. I say this all the time. You see it for for good. Close to where I live, you have Iranian Jews that truly were refugees, truly do appreciate America, truly did flee persecution at the hands of Islam. And you see they're just very close-knit, and they start businesses together. But it's the same thing for bad businesses. So if they're all foreign nationals and they're deportable, you bust them up. You bust up the entire network. This is what they're missing. We're not talking about eradicating drugs from America. We're talking about why did it get this way right around the time Obama suspended interior enforcement and then Sanctuary Cities came about? That is the question we, we answered. And then look, it's the same thing with DUIs. I have an article out today on this. So there's this case in Oregon where the media is now trying to get this woman out of deportation. Oh, she was a DACA recipient. Oh, she was here since she was a baby. It's not her fault, and now you're separating her from her kid. That's another thing now. The new thing is it's not just at the border. You can't deport anyone because you're separating people. Never mind that we separate American criminals every day, but somehow they're better than us. But anyway, they're trying to say, oh, it's low-level offenses. Let me tell you something. To the thousands of people who lost loved ones from drunk driving, it's not a laughing matter. It's not a low-level offense. I know a lot of people do it. And here's the thing. I mean, especially with that, I mean – Few people serve time, even if they're repeat offenders. At best, they have their driver's license suspended. They there's no deterrent. So for the record, you know, before we get, even get to immigration, I believe we need to be stricter in general on DUIs. Especially repeat offenders. There's got to be a three strikes in your outlaw. You're 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 strapping on. Thousands of pounds of steel and driving drunk. I mean, that's a bomb. 2017, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, an estimated 10,874 people died from crashes caused by drunk drivers. And there are a hell of a lot of illegal alien drunk drivers. Anyone with a half a brain knows that it is part of the culture. There's a big drunk driving problem. And we also know that drunk driving is one of the most, um, one of the offenses that is most prone to recidivism and repeat offenders. Usually if you do it once, you do it many times. And if we catch you, that means you were doing it many other times we didn't catch you. And that means all these ticking time bombs that we talk about, all the cases where people died, so, many, so, so often they could have been avoided. Again, with an American, look, a guy's caught drunk driving once, twice, we don't lock them up. And even if we did, obviously no one's going to suggest that we're going to lock them up forever. So you have to deal with that. It's a limit to what we can do. But when it comes to an illegal alien, I mean, I'm sick of hearing, oh, it was just this, it was just that. So this woman, Betseda Sunem Moreno Manriquez, in Washington County, Oregon, they want to say, oh, it's low-level offenses. So she was arrested twice for drunk driving, another time for domestic violence. Now look, they're like, "Oh, second chances, isn't that? Here's the deal. I know a lot of Americans do that do that stuff. But I don't know about you. I never got arrested in my life. I never got ar- you know arrested for domestic abuse. I never got arrested for drunk driving. And there's a hell of a lot of immigrants who also won't ever get arrested. There's 7.8 billion people in this world. We're the first draft pick. So I don't need people here who are going to be time bombs to go and kill people. I don't need that. But yet she's got this not-for-profit group that's agitating for legal work, PR work. Remember last year we had Eileen Smith on our show? She was eight months pregnant, lost her unborn son who was born on the spot when she was injured in a crash from an illegal who was arrested eight times and was never – for driving violations and was never deported. And one of the things she told us is she had no PR help. And when I say PR help, she wasn't even advocating against illegal immigration. She was just doing general, you know, um, anti-drunk driving – Stuff. You know, she just wanted some modest regulations put into place in New Mexico where it happened and she was unsuccessful. No one's there to help her. No one pays her legal bills. No one pays her medical bills. No one's there for the silent majority. No one's there for the forgotten American taxpayer and forgotten American victim of this. What about Eileen Smith and and, and the tons of others we cover every week with DUIs who are permanently separated in the grave from their loved ones? What about those people? Could we have a law against separating those families? Well, actually, we do have a law. It's called our immigration enforcement laws that would have prevented all of these people from killing their kids because they're prone to recidivism. And after the first time we arrest them for a similar crime which becomes habitual with these people we could have removed them think about this ICE in just one year of apprehensions this was fiscal year 2018 Now, I want, want, want you to understand ICE, E-R-O their entire agency and that includes like lawyers and PR people the press people I mean desk people is about 8,000 people. Right, because the other half of the agency is HSI. There's only a few thousand people doing deportations, basically. NYPD is 20,000 people, and this is national in scope. Yet in one year of their net, of apprehension, the aliens they apprehended, some of them obviously had multiple uh, offenses, But among them were 80,730 DUIs, not including over 76,000 other driving offenses. Do you know how likely it is that that is just a small percentage of the universe of dangerous illegal alien drivers on the road? That because of sanctuaries, they can't get them. They, they never know about them. Think about that for a moment. 80,730. And on the flip side, you see what ICE has done to protect this country. Could you imagine if you had, again, it's not 80,000 because a lot of them are recidivists, so it's, but even if it's, let's say 40, 50,000, 40, 50,000 drunk drivers that they took out of the country and given how it's such a habitual crime, imagine how many other people would have been separated from their families that we'll never know about. So A, the media never reports and Republicans never hold hearings and hold up easels during Senate speeches of these people, the people that were killed and were separated in the grave from their kids, kids to parents, parents to kids, as a result of not enforcing the laws on the books. But what, what, what we can never fathom are the number of people that would have been victimized, that we'll never know about, but warrant thanks to ICE over the last decade, removing about 1.8 million criminal aliens. And yet, ICE is under grave attack, and they have no backing. Republicans are playing with themselves. What is so hard about Republicans introducing the Scott Gardner Act? It's the old bill sponsored by Sue Myrick from North Carolina. Couple, She's a former representative. She's retired several years ago that would mandate ICE apprehension for all legal aliens arrested for drunk driving. Also add a punishment to sanctuaries that don't comply. What is so hard about that? they literally don't know how to with 70,000 people drive, dying from drugs so many people dying from dying from DUIs these are universal issues and yet republicans think they need to focus on defending Ilhan Omar meaning it's not what's so many it's not just that they're morally bankrupt and they have no ideological compass Their political barometer is just screwed beyond. Their their thermometer is like, you know, if you have um, an old-fashioned thermometer outside and then the sun shines right on it, it will go up to 150 or something, so it's worthless. That's what their political thermometer is. That's where we are. That's where we are. Just It's just maddening, absolutely positively maddening. But where are the Republicans with their legislative agenda? Trump and the Republican leaders, they could have an opportunity to begin laying down their markers on standing up for law enforcement, standing up for sovereignty, standing up for Amer- American victims of crime, drugs, gangs and have a full court budgetary and policy agenda that they say, we are going to push this in the September budget. The president would threaten a veto for anything less. And they would build the case messaging-wise by keeping Congress, the Senate in session for the entirety of August, every day bringing up another bill, showcasing more of these stories, more of this data, These are not brilliant ideas I'm concocting. This is what any sane party would do if they had a modicum of belief in the platform that they adopted at their national convention. But of course, Republicans don't believe in it, and that's why they're acting accordingly. So instead, Mitch McConnell reportedly told Trump in June that nobody has ever lost election because they did because they spent too much money so mcconnell's trying to convince trump to screw us on the debt ceiling on the budget caps spend another 125 billion at a time when spending is already 18% higher than in obama's final year and then screw us on immigration like i said all along we know they're not going to cut spending So at least if you're going to give Democrats the budget caps, use that as a bargaining chip to say, hey, I'll give you the budget caps, but we get what we want in immigration. If we're going to spend money on all your stupid domestic programs, then we're going to spend money on sovereignty, which is the core job of a federal government, the government of the whole of the people. It's not that hard to articulate if you believe in it. But they don't. At its core, most people in the political elites who call themselves conservative are a bunch of progressives. And at its core, a good number of Americans who don't call themselves conservative, they really are, they just don't know it. They live their lives, exude common sense. Just no one has reached out to them with the right message. So we're leaving a lot here on the table. There's a lot more I wanted to get to with the courts. We'll have to um, save for tomorrow. I just wanted to mention one thing, one important um, point here, that Kellyanne Conway was subpoenaed by a House committee to come and testify. They claim she violated the Hatch Act. You know, using the government for politics. It was a no-brainer that she declined the subpoena. She just said no. Here's what I don't understand, folks. The legislature predominates in a republic. That's the strongest strongest branch of government, as Madison said. And nobody, you know, both sides whether Republicans have the Congress, Democrats have the presidency, or vice versa, everyone agrees that there's executive privilege, a separation of powers. As a separate branch of government, you can't commandeer me. This happens all the time. Okay? Obama did it. Clinton did it. Bush did it. Trump's doing it. Why is it when it comes to the judicial branch of government, they could literally say, we're going to cut your you-know-what off, I'm like, there's nothing we can do. The court said, I'm like, what do you want me to do? De- defy a court? Say no to the court? Well, you're saying no to Congress. So anyway, that's just the point I wanted to get out there. It just drives me nuts when people miss that point. Um, we're going to try to have some more guests on. Like I said, we're going to try to have Michael Kearns on at some point. Um, my mind is kind of distracted today. Lots going on, but let me know if there's issues you want to be covered or questions and concerns you have. I can't always promise to get them but you know I'm still investigating a lot of different stories and you know try to bring you guys the best content content, the best information. Send this show to 15, 20 people. But remember, the only way to get a movement is to per- first recognize that you don't have one first. We got to slay the golden calves. And when you have a movement that is dead silent on everything that's important, but suddenly and God opens the mouth of of the donkey, suddenly they have a voice when it comes to left-wing priorities, premises, talking points, and sense of morality, then you know we have a perfidious movement that is much more harmful than it is of use. And that's why all these people to me are a bunch of good for nothings till tomorrow. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of the conservative conscience.